Hey everybody, welcome to class number two. I hope you were able to enjoy the previous class. I'm still looking for feedback. I know many of you did not provide feedback and I would love to hear uh, some of your answers to the homework from, from, last, from last class. Um, today we're talking about aiming at Jesus. Remember we talked last time about what completeness looks like both in the Old Testament and the New Testament and today we're gonna flesh that out a little bit. What are we aiming at? Well, first thing I want to mention is that God is complete. This is one of the things that we know about God. God is a being who lacks nothing. There is nothing lacking in God. And why that's good to know is that, well, if, if there, he's lacking in nothing, he needs nothing from us. Anything that he does is an expression of his being. So he's not, say, like other human beings who are not complete. Human beings often have impure motives. You don't fully know who they are. Um, and they can change from moment to moment, but we are told that God is eternal, that he's unchangeable, and he's always had this mission from the beginning. Similarly, we know that Jesus is complete. Why do we know that? It's because Jesus is the image of God on planet Earth. He is the human being who showed us what it's like to be God in its full expression. Um, so something that we also know about Jesus is that he lacks nothing. It's one of the things that people throughout time have admired about him. Jesus is this figure who, when he acts, he seems to act with such a degree of wisdom. He seems to act with such a degree of uh, a poise and, and control. And we might say because, well, he, he doesn't act out of any sort of lack. He is full. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is full of divinity. And so when he acts, his action is fully just an expression of who he is, and he's never reacting to anything. No one can pin him down with questions. No one tells him what to do. It's even said in, uh, it's even said close to his death that, you know, he's praying in in the garden. Uh, you know, Lord, please take this cup from me, and and God says, no, this is the way it has to be done, and. Jesus basically, he, he agrees. He says, okay, I will do this thing. Even his own death was something that he walked willingly towards. We even sing the song of, he could have called 10,000 angels. Yeah, he could have, and he didn't. Why? Because it, part of who he was, in fact, his whole mission was accomplished on that day. And it's something that we look to. Yeah, it, it was not something that was done out of any lack. It was something that was done out of fullness of being. Um, we have this idea of being imitators of Christ for that reason. Uh, being imitators of Christ, we are to pattern our lives after the one called Christ. Why? Because he's the expression of divinity in its completeness. He is who we are supposed to be and who we could be. Uh, completeness means freedom for that reason. It means we're not threatened by the world. It means we aren't manipulated by the world. We don't operate out of fear when we're complete. We operate out of a sense of a sense of wholeness, a sense of abundance, a sense of everything will be okay eventually. Uh, sin, by contrast, is slavery. It limits our options. It limits our freedom. When, when we are surrounded by sin, when we are surrounded by scarcity, we are more animalistic, we are more reactive. We don't do what we want to do. We don't do the highest, best thing all the time. We do whatever we have to do to get by. And then we sometimes justify it. That is not freedom. 
That is not who we could be or aspire to be. Uh, completeness also equals love. Um, it's good to know that, that God, when he loves, it is from a sense of completeness. It's not two-faced. It's not you do this for me and then I'll do this for you. It's, when We'll get into that later. Um, sin, by contrast, is selfishness. You know, I do this, but I want something in return. I need something from you in return. I don't have enough. I need more. And so one of the cool things about love, love is one of the things that actually generates things, while sin is often things that is something that, that takes away from the other person. And if you've ever been in a relationship that's just toxic and damaging, you notice that either someone is taking away something from you all the time, or you are both taking things away from each other. And it's this grabby, grabby uh, nature of the relationship that makes you guarded and makes you want to uh, close down, stay away, distance yourself, and maybe even eventually ruin the relationship or end the relationship. Meanwhile, a relationship that is marked with love, that is marked with completeness, there is total freedom. You get to be completely yourself, and so do they, and it's a beautiful thing. It just rarely happens. And, and I hope that we've experienced at least some of that, a glimmer of that. Uh, Jesus says something very, shall we say, telling. He has this uh, he has this phrase that says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is a very telling statement, and frankly a very hard statement, simply because there is no wiggle room here. This is the idea um, some would call of complete ownership. It means that everything I do, all the words that I say, all of my actions, where does that come from? Is it some justified reaction? I'm just reacting to the world. I'm just navigating the world. You know, and so we should excuse that kind of behavior? No. This right here, this simple phrase basically says, whatever you produce, whatever you speak, whatever you do is an expression of who you are. Not your surroundings, not your environment, not the other people. And so it should ask us, if we are less than who we want to be or could be or should be, why is that? That's a hard question. Now, you could justify, you could say, oh, somebody made me this way. I had a nasty breakup, and so I'm afraid in relationships. I am, uh, I've been hurt in various ways, and so I, I don't know, I've been hurt in various ways, and, and so I'm afraid of being hurt again. I, I don't like feeling weak, and so I enjoy making others small to help prop up my ego. Right? That's, that's sin. Let's take ownership of that, complete ownership. Uh, Viktor Frankl will, uh, one of his famous sayings is, uh, in between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. This is talking about his freedom. Now, Viktor Frankl was somebody who was in the concentration camps. And I'm sure you know, there was very little freedom, almost no freedom. But what Viktor Frankl did discover is that even in all of his, all of his plight with his, with his fellow countrymen, he could still have the freedom of choice. He still had the freedom of his mind. He still had the freedom of his actions. No one controlled him. Could they harm him? Could they kill him? Yes. Could they maim him? Yes. But no one could force him. No one could make him do anything that he did not volunteer to do. This is something, this is a gift that God has given us. The gift of freedom. The gift of autonomy. You might even notice Christ as he 
went through his temptation in the desert. The three things that Satan offered him, and you can go look this up, he had already. There were not things that were truly offered because he already had those things. He already had kingship. He already had authority. He already had power. He just chose not to use it. And so I think that part of the reason why Christ was able to resist that temptation in the desert is simply this. He didn't lack any of those things. Yes, he was hungry. Yes, he was tired. Yes, power would be nice sometimes, but he didn't need those things. He knew a better way. He had the fullness in him. You look at the creation story, and we'll get to this in a moment. Uh, Christianity is the only religion in which love precedes life. You know, in the beginning, God created. Why did he create? Was it because he lacked something? No. No. He was full in and of himself. We even get the indication that we're multiple beings there. You know, it says, like, let's create them in our image. Well, who's our? I thought there was only one God. It's weird. It's this three-in-one thing that we consistently grasp and, or try to grasp and it escapes us because it's, 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 it's weird language. It's complicated. But we, set, we definitely got a strong indication in Genesis that God wasn't creating human beings because he lacked something. He just wanted more. We even are told that the creation of human beings and creation itself was an expression of his love and divine purpose. Not to get by. Um, finally, we have in the passage James 1, uh, 13 through 18. James says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change, like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all created. So he's not tempted. Why? Because there's nothing he's lacking. What, what could you possibly do to tempt God? What could you give to God that he does not already possess? And I think this is our destiny as well, both now, possibly, to some limited degree, and in the future, where it's very possible, if I read the scriptures correctly, we, like God now, we won't be missing a thing. Are our creaturely necessities taken care of? Love in abundance to the fullest. Where is there room for sin? Where is there room for temptation? If all there is is love and we don't have to do anything for survival. I think that is what is awaiting for us, for those who believe. So this idea of love precedes life, I think, is fundamental to the Christian message. It's not, I love so that I get something back. That's not love. Love preceding life is a fundamental characteristic of God. Love preceding life is this idea that God is love. That, that love is the thing that binds together and gives purpose to the universe. It's the reason why all of this seems to exist in the first place. And just think about it, you know, what is the world like without love? Like, what's the point? Is it just 
generations of people existing and then creating more generations of people that just exist? Is not love the only thing that seems to give meaning to life and make life purposeful? Um, throughout this language of, of the Bible, we do have this idea of this word called covenant. God makes a covenant. He actually makes several with us and with his people. And this, this, this is kind of a weird word. We're not used to it. What we're used to seeing, this kind of fallen nature, this idea of what the world does. The world does, does contracts. Like, I have a contract with Sprint. I pay Sprint money so I can use my phone. I, spray, I pay Sprint money so that I can have 3G service and texting. What happens when I stop paying the bill? They stop paying the service. They stop giving me the service. That's a contract, tit for tat. I do this for you, then you do this for me. How much of the world runs on that kind of language? Even things like marriages. Even, sadly, sometimes things like having children. You know, how much of the world runs like that? That's very different from this word covenant. Covenant is a one-sided contract with yourself. You know, I chose to marry my wife and she chose to marry me. And these are two individual covenants. I'm going to love her no matter what. She's going to love me no matter what. I'm going to put her first. She's going to put me first. If that happens, that's all we need for a beautiful marriage. And that's pretty hard. Marriage is hard. I'm not going to lie to you. Every single marriage is hard. Maybe even a better example of a covenant would be having children. You know, my four children, they didn't choose to be born. I chose for them. And so the covenant I made with them on the day of conception was that I would love them in perpetuity. And that also means I would love them and not expect anything in return. And the thing that I get to enjoy, what's in it for me, you might ask? What's in it for me uh, to have kids? And I would say gratitude, watching them flourish, watching them grow, watching them develop, watching them be nourished and develop into who they are supposed to be. I tell you, I think having children is probably one of the best, most natural ways of experiencing love that really should be the kind of love we display towards everybody. Because it is perhaps the purest form of, of love that can exist. Love creates. Hate destroys. Just like, just like I said earlier. If you're in a relationship where I'm loving you and you're loving me, it's not like we're even. We both benefit. We get something. If we're both in a relationship where I'm trying to get as much as I can from you and you the same, we both lose out. It's a net negative. What's the point? Love is a gift in which both the giver and the gift and, and, the, and the receiver benefit. Love is a gift. That's how you know it's love. You guys wonder, you know, is this person truly love me or not? Well, I might ask you, was the gift freely given? Gift means I, I, I give you something and then I no longer have control over it. It's yours. It belongs to you now. That's it. So it's not a gift if I give something to you and then say, and then tell you how to use it. Or I say, let me give this to you, but I want something in return. That's a contract. That's an agreement, an arrangement. Love is one-sided. It's why you need completeness in the first place. The people who are complete, 
or are very, very, very complete are the ones who can give because they're giving out of abundance. They're not giving out of lack. They're not giving out of scarcity. They're giving because, well, they're not losing out that much. They already have enough, right? Once again, freedom. Completeness is going to equal freedom. A lot of people are damaged through childhood. A lot of people are damaged through adolescence, bad relationships, tragedies, all kinds of stuff that is in the world that we have to deal with. And what that creates is often poor boundaries. Now, boundaries is this word, it's kind of a fancy counseling kind of word that just basically means my ability to set limits on the world between the world and me. You might also think of it as self-respect, like what I'm willing to tolerate. Right? I know how a lot of people who have people-pleasing problems. And what is that? I'm making an arrangement with somebody that I'm going to put up with their bad behavior. I'm going to put up with their neediness, their, their chaos, um, so that I get some little scraps of affection. Is that love? No, that's a contract between two people. I tolerate you, and you, you give me scraps. Not exactly something that we would aspire to, right? You know, that could lead us into being doormats. I can't say no. Why would I? I can't say no. What happens if I say no? They're going to be mad at me. They're going to take it out on me. They might leave me. A person who's pursuing completeness and who has achieved some measure of it can more easily stop people-pleasing, stop being a doormat. Um, what about lashing out? You know, you threatened me. You hurt me. You're not giving enough to me. I'm lashing out at you emotionally or physically or verbally, whatever it happens to be. Right? If we're pursuing completeness, we might say, you know what, the thing that makes me complete is not another human being. They might be enjoyable, they might give me things that I desire, but that does not make me a complete human being. What makes me complete is my spiritual nature. What makes me complete is my relationship with the divine. That's something I pursue, and then I reap the benefit, and it is an expression of who I am and what I'm doing in the world. Right? What about fear? What about fear? Fear is leading towards hatred. Fear is, gosh, like I am not complete in the fact that I don't feel safe, I don't provide my own safety. Um, which can lead to something like xenophobia. I, I remember having this conversation maybe 10 years ago with somebody who really hated Muslims. Um, and this person happened to be a very devout Christian. And I asked them, I said, you know, the Muslim countries, Christian missionaries have been trying to get into there for years. And now when they're coming to the country that is emblematic of Christianity, you want to kick them out? Don't tell me that you're kicking this opportunity to the curb because of some fear. Because these people believe something different, think something different, look different, act different. That tells me more about somebody when they have this kind of fear. It tells me they're not, they're, not, they're not a complete person. The only thing they can tolerate is what they already know. And the only way they can feel safe is, is if nothing changes. Well, I tell you, some of the people in Christianity's history that we admire the most are people who were offensive, not defensive. They went to different cultures. They adapted. They put the gospel ahead of everything else. You know, the Bible says, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. 
right? And that's what we that's what we aspire to do. So here's my charge for you. You know, for this week, I would ask you, who do you love unconditionally? Maybe even more appropriate, who do you struggle with loving unconditionally? Go ahead and read 1 John 4. 1 John 4 is amazing. It's very little wiggle room. It's written as if a child can understand it. It's that simple, but it's that deep as well. And then ask yourself this question. What am I lacking in me that stops me from loving somebody? Take a good hard look. Look across the political aisle. Look across ethnic lines. Look across people that you find to have aberrant behavior and ask yourself if there's anger, if there's hatred, if there's fear, if there's a lack of love somewhere in there. Where does that come from? I'll say this, the Bible gives us very little wiggle room. It says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we are complete, we can experience love and we can experience freedom. God bless you.